You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And we're in the habit of encouraging you to turn to the text yourself. So turn there, whether it's electronic Bible or a paper Bible, um, and we'll read these words. It's about martyrdom. So, so today we're talking about church history, specifically this age of martyrdom, which means uh, being persecuted or killed for your faith. Revelation 6, 9 through 11 says this, um, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, so this is like an image of heaven, uh, and John sees under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. So it's this idea that the, these saints who were martyred, um, their souls are underneath the altar. Um, and out of this image of they'd suffered, but now they're here in heaven. And verse 10 said, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. You make all things right, basically. These people that, um, are, their souls are in heaven because they died um, because they were Christians. <clears throat> and then verse 11 says, Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number was fulfilled for their fellow servants. And the brothers and sisters, they were all killed just as they had been. So martyrdom, a big part of the early church. It's within the context of the Bible. So as we talk about that this morning, let's first start by opening in prayer. So God, we come before you as, as your saints, um, saints that follow you and love you. And, and Lord, we <clears throat> stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And Lord, we thank you that Christians all over the world um, are, are being kept safe and, and you're watching them and looking over them as, as some of them are being persecuted. And Lord, we thank you that we are living um, without persecution, at least on some level, that the early church experienced, that we have freedoms. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, we, we want to bless your name with the, with the things you've given us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And everybody screamed. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, here's a picture that um, I'll make sense of in just a second. It's a picture of someone holding clothes, holding laundry, and this ends up saving someone's life. How in the world could it do so? Well, here's the story behind it so that you will know the rest of the story. It has to do with this guy named Origen. That's his name. He lived in the uh, the time of the early church. He uh, lived at a time when martyrdom was a very real thing. He lived under the Roman Empire where saints were being taken. Christians, just for believing in Christ, were being taken and killed uh, on account of their faith. And um, uh, Origen happens to live at this time of martyrdom. Uh, he doesn't get martyred towards the very end of a long life. He, at the year, at the age of 70 years old, he was taken and tortured and then released and then died of complications of that torture and that um, being persecuted uh, physically. He was, he was died after that. But Origen lives a long life. Um, he was kind of this church father, maybe we'll talk, mention him later, but he was very good at like the Greek philosophy of the day and, and uh, parallels with Christianity. He was very smart. He translated the Old Testament into six different languages. It's called the Hexbola. Can you imagine just translating it into 
one language. So he had this like huge document with like six columns, and it was like the, the Hebrew, the transliterated Greek, a couple versions of Greek. Um, and so he translated it. Um, just an amazing Christian, lived uh, to, to when he was 70. But the story that I started with uh, of someone carrying clothes um, goes back to when he was like 17 or 18 years old. Anybody 17 or 18 years old? I see a few hands. Um, so imagine yourself. Um, your origin's father had just died. His name was Leonidas, I think is how you pronounce it. And he um, was taken out into the streets, into a coliseum, and then murdered or martyred on behalf of his belief in Christianity. And so you could imagine yourself as, as a 17 or 18-year-old um, knowing that your father had just been killed and this idea of giving your faith uh, as for being a Christian uh, and the popularity, I guess popularity is the wrong word, the, um, um, like it was just pretty common for people to be martyred in this time. That's what I meant by that. And um, this idea that you should give your life up to Christ, just as Christ died, you should also be willing to die for your belief in him. And so anyways, a little origin at the age of 17 or 18, I guess he's not that little, uh, as a teenager, um, saw his dad getting taken away, and he too wanted to give his life um, to be a martyr. He wanted to go seek out martyrdom. He wanted, he was full of rage and passion and frustration, knowing that his dad had just died. And so he is about to go out and seek out martyrdom, which is something Christians um, in the early church decided, like, no, we shouldn't seek out martyrdom. If we're captured and caught, we do not deny Christ. We, we go to our death gladly on behalf of, of Christ, but we shouldn't seek it out. And here's origin seeking out martyrdom and, and the frustration of losing his dad. And so his mom, <clears throat> instead of arguing, anybody ever get in arguments with their mom? All the, all the time. Well, his, his mom was very wise. And so instead of arguing, instead of um, talking through, like talking him down from going out and finding martyrdom, she just takes all his clothes and hides them. And so Origen is left with nothing but his undies, I guess, and doesn't want to go out in his undies to go get martyred. And so he doesn't. And so his mom wisely, I think, uh, in that passion and in Origen's rage of wanting to go get martyred, hides his clothes. And so the story goes that he does not go out to get martyred. Instead, um, lives a long life and is one of these early Christian fathers who, in our history, we can look back and, and glorify God for what he did for the church. So that's the story. So welcome to the Mill Sunday School. We're so glad that you're here. Um, if you are new to Sunday School, as far as announcements go, on all the tables should be one of these cards. And if you want, you can fill it out with as much or as little information as you want to give us. Um, and then as you leave back there, so if you're new, you can, as you're on your way out, we'll have, there's a little table out there. There's some little gift baggies we'll give you um, as information about New Life Church, information about the mill on Friday, which is our main college and 20-somethings meeting. So, um, yeah, so that's that. Um, let's see. As far as other announcements go, um, let's see. We're going to meet this. Uh, we're meeting today. We're going to meet next Sunday. And then Thanksgiving weekend on that Sunday, 
uh, we are going to cancel Sunday school because we as staff, myself, uh, and then all the leaders, we're going to give that weekend off. So it's kind of our habit to cancel Sunday school in a couple weeks right after Thanksgiving. So, and then we will also cancel the mill on that Friday. So it'll be Thanksgiving Thursday, and then Friday the mill will be canceled, and then Sunday school uh, right after Thanksgiving will be canceled as well. And it's just our, just kind of like, you might be like, why are you canceling? Well, in our world of go, 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 fast, 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 I just heard um, some stores on Thanksgiving Day in the evening are opening up for their Black Friday sales. It's like, wait, Black Friday is supposed to be Friday. Um, So I just thought, um, as a reminder to us, like we as Christians, we believe in Sabbath and resting and not just go, 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 get the best deal, run around town, craziness. Um, and so we, we decide to give our leaders and staff off that mill and that Sunday school. So anyways, that's that. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about this morning, which is some church history. All this month, we're talking about the first church, the very early church, the church in the book of Acts, uh, to about... Um, I guess we're going to expand into early church history. And the next week, Adam Molesky, he's going to be here. And we're going to talk about the events leading up to Constantine's conversion, which which Christianity will be legalized. And so um, that's what we're talking about today and this month. Um, and so as, as a nerd alert, do your best siren. <laughs> Anyways... Uh, I, I gave, so you're all nerds. I mean, you're here early on a Sunday morning, so I, you're all nerds. And that's a very good thing, by the way. But if you want to be extra nerdy, uh, we've been giving assignments out of this book, Church History in Plain Language by Bruce Shelley. Uh, I happen to have the second edition. There's a third edition. Any edition is fine. They're very similar. They just have different forwards and you could get it on Amazon for really cheap. Or we've been donated a few of these books by a really cool individual who was going to order the books and then decided to order a bunch of books. So we have like 10 books to give out as prizes. So what will we do? Well, I just thought, oh, it'd be fun um, to um, have some sort of contest. And I thought, oh, it'd be fun to do like a photo contest of some sort. So uh, take pictures of something Sunday school related, either today or like, I I don't know, maybe a drawing of Sunday school. Then you take a picture or scan it, or I don't know, you're creative. Um, And so the top 10 people, or I think we have nine books, the top nine people who who have the best photo um, will win a free book and be extra super nerdy. And so when you take the picture, uh, we have like a hashtag now because we're cool like that. Um, Hashtag the Mill Sunday School. So take the picture of like a selfie or I don't know, be creative. And then you could, you could either Instagram it or we have a Mill Sunday School Facebook and you could post it there or just hashtag the Mill Sunday School and then we will find you and give you a book and that will be really cool. So have fun with that. Anyways, uh, your reading assignment, if you want a reading assignment for all you super nerds, is chapters 4 through 8, and that'll take us all the way to after Thanksgiving uh, when we meet, and, um, and it, it'll, it'll go right up to Constantine and Christianity being legalized, and so if you want assignments, there it is. So let's continue on. So this morning, persecution in the early church is our subject for today, um, and I think this lecture, if you remember this lecture in a couple weeks, lots will make sense to you. Because the defining thing to be a Christian in the early church meant that your life was on the line. 
And that's very different from today in America, in Colorado Springs, in 2013. We could become Christians and not have to worry about the the government of the city or the state or the country taking our lives on behalf of our conversion. We live in very different times here and now um, in, in Colorado Springs. But that wasn't the case in the early church. Persecution was the rule. Like when you became a Christian, you were persecuted. You were potentially on a a death threat. A warrant to your life had been taken out for believing, believing in Christ. And so what it meant to be a Christian in the other church was persecution. If if you remember this lecture in a couple weeks, when Christianity will get legalized, you will, lots will like make sense to you as, as far as like why Christians did what they did. So let's talk about persecution. The first persecution was from the Jews. And um, that's, a, that's the point on your notes. The first persecution was from the Jews. And uh, that goes in line with last week's lecture because we talked about how the first Christians were all Jews. And so as Christians separated themselves from these first century Jews, um, differences Hatreds arose. If you go back two lectures ago, uh, as far as review, we talked about how there's five pillars of the Jewish religion. If you remember that. Anybody remember that? Okay. Oh, I see oceans of hands. Awesome. Um, (laughs) Anyways, uh, it's a preacher joke. Uh, You wouldn't get it. Actually, you would. You know. Um, So anyways, uh, what was I talking about? Persecution. No, yeah, the Jewish people. So five pillars of Judaism. Jesus, like systematically, all five of these pillars, he offends the Jewish people at their most important beliefs. And then from there, uh, he then is killed. Like the, the Romans really don't want Jesus dead. It's the Jews who want Jesus dead and then go to the Romans to kill Jesus. And if you remember the story, like Pilate just washes his hands. He's like, I, I don't even, I don't. Like, who is this Jesus? And he, he tries to send him off to Herod. Um, and then the Jews are so, so persistent that he just kills Jesus on behalf of their persistence. And the Jews, the first Christian to be martyred, <clears throat> and I guess the exception would be Jesus, but technically he wasn't a Christian. He was the Christ. So I, I think you could make an argument um, there that Jesus wasn't the first Christian martyr since he was the Christ. Um, but the first Christian martyr is often... Um, uh, this guy talked about as being this guy right here. Anybody recognize this guy? Stephen. Yeah. So there's uh, a Rembrandt's picture of the stoning of Stephen, where Stephen in Acts chapter seven makes this long speech about how the Messiah was, was to come. And he talks about Abraham. He talks about Moses and David and all the saints. It's a really good uh, recap of like the whole Old Testament in Acts chapter 7, Stephen's speech. And he says in, in verse 52, so Acts seven fifty two, he says, basically, they killed the, the, they previously, let me start over. They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. And basically he, Stephen points his fingers at the Jews standing around him and says, now you're doing that. You don't recognize that Jesus was the anointed one, the Messiah. And they are enraged and they get really mad and they kill him right then and there on the streets of Jerusalem. They murder him. They stone him to death. And there's this random verse in there that says that Paul was there. And, and so he, his name at the time was Saul. That's his Hebrew name. So if we zoom into this picture, um, that's Saul up there holding the coats for the people throwing stones at Stephen. Um, and Paul's there. 
And his name was Saul. It's his Hebrew name. And then he starts going by Paul, which is more of a Greek name. It'd be like if I went to Mexico to be a missionary I, down there, I'd be called Jose. Here I'm called Joe kind of thing. Um, but anyways, have you thought about, as I'm talking about this, it just, in my mind, as I was, I've, was preparing this message all week, I was just like kind of dumbfounded by the idea of killing someone just because they believe something different than you do. Doesn't that seem very foreign? If you're like, pause and think, like, let's say uh, an atheist visited. And if you're an atheist, you're, you're welcome to visit. Like, there's nothing in me that's like, oh, we have an atheist in the room. We need to kill them. It's like, whoa, no. You, there's free coffee and bacon and donuts back there. We're not going to kill you because you believe something different than we do. Like, we welcome you. We want you to um, experience love, the love of Christ through us. Um, and so if you believe something different, you're totally welcome here. The idea of killing on behalf of, of, of different beliefs is just, like, just very foreign in my head, as I'm sure it is in your head as well. But I thought about this, and I thought, you know, how quickly people, when they're full of fear, and when they're full of just, like, um, like hatred towards someone, how quickly people are to, to, to eventually, I guess, hate or kill, have this idea of punishing or imprisoning or hating and, and killing someone of different beliefs. And so it goes back, in my mind, this, um, like this glimpse into like, who we are as human beings, um, in my mind, goes back uh, many years ago to the events of 9-11. So this is 9-11. Uh, 2001, when the, the Trade Center was, two planes flew into it and destroyed it. Um, I was, um, so that was like 12 years ago, if you do the math. And I imagine many of you were in elementary school. Raise your hand if you were in elementary school. Raise your hand if you were in middle school. Um, so that, I imagine that's the majority of you. I am a little older than those of you that just raised your hands. Uh, I was just starting my first semester of my master's degree in the fall semester and I remember these events, and then I remember the weeks to come. And I'm sure you do as well, because there was legitimate fear. Like gas stations were closing down, you couldn't get gas. There was gas shortages and people just afraid. There was, the, remember, um, right, like a week after, um, there was that anthrax scare where like mail was being sent out with like anthrax powder in it. And people at media stations or senators were opening these things and then getting anthrax. 17 people got anthrax. I think five of them ended up dying. And so it was just legitimate fear. There was fear um, going back like in the mindset of 12 years ago. I remember there was legitimate fear of like Muslim people. Like, oh, you look Muslim and you could be a terrorist. And I, I knew some Egyptian friends uh, at my at my college, um, that um, looked Muslim, and they said after nine eleven they just hid, like they didn't go out. They did. They they were legitimately afraid of people's reactions because people were hysteric. People were legitimately afraid of more terrorist activities. I remember this building, the World Prayer Center, uh, was and still is today open 24 hours a day for prayer. Um, and it was shut down. Like, no, we're not going to keep this building open. It's a security hazard to keep it open 24 hours a day. We're going to shut it down. You have to make an appointment to come and pray. Because it was fear. Like, this, we could be a target as Christians. Um, and then the, the Army Air Force bases here in town, this city was a target. There was legitimate fear. And I remember a conversation with, with seminary-level Christians. We were in this conversation. And this guy uh, in this conversation was worked up. 
and full of fear. And he said something that I, I, like shocked me. And, and it wasn't at the time. I mean, it's totally crazy. But at the time, it was like, I guess that's not that crazy. We are really afraid of what could happen. We are afraid of more terrorist acts. And he said this. It, was, it should be shocking to you. It was shocking to me then. But in, in some ways, it was just like, we're so afraid we'll do anything. And he said, you know what we should just do is just interrogate. We should round up uh, Muslim people and just start asking them questions, interrogate them, and even put them in prison until this thing settles down. And I was like, whoa, like just like American citizens that happen to be, uh, go to a, a mosque, we just arrest them for just that reason. And he was like, yeah, we just, you know, until this thing settles down, we just, you know, we, we interrogate them and we arrest them. We, we put up a prison or something somewhere and we just bring them all there and we figure this thing out uh, and we get those terrorists. And it was just like, gosh, that's, that's, I mean, you think about that happening right now, it'd just be like, I'm sorry, what? Like, we're going back to concentration camps? Like, really? Um, that would be bad. But in the time, and so you have to think about the volatile time that the early church was in and the, um, the volatile political things that were happening and that there was um, riots and that there was just people take, trying to take over the government. The Romans were very afraid of being taken over. The Jewish people were afraid of losing their cities. And so um, in that mindset... It's, it's not that crazy to think that the normal human reaction is just to hurt, to be afraid of those that are going to hurt you, to imprison, to kill, to martyr because of fear. And so if that's a little glimpse into um, why there was persecution, maybe that helps us in our mindset. So anyways, I want to give it back to you to discuss at your table. So if you're in a smaller table, join a bigger table. Um, and I want you to answer this question, which should be a very easy question to answer. So I want you to further the question and talk a little bit about this. Um, are Christians hated today? Question mark. And I say, yeah, of, co- of course, there's people out there that hate Christians. But I want you to kind of go beyond the question and just say, yeah, they're hated today. Kind of say who, where, um, talk about persecution or Christian ha- people being People hating Christians here today in America, but then if you know some things about events around the world where Christians today are being persecuted, you could bring that to your table discussion. So take like two minutes and discuss this question at your table. Ready? Get set. Discuss. All right, who would like to share something that was said at their table? Something surrounding ideas of Christian hatred or persecution or martyrdom today, either in the United States or outside of the United States? Anyone want to? Yes, Aaron Higgins. Thank you. So I, I would say that hatred of Christianity takes a different face depending where in the world you're at. Uh, here in America, I would say our persecution is more societal in nature, where we're the punchline of a joke. Um, <laughs> It's true. You, yeah. you you turn on a sitcom or something like that, and it's it's going to be the caricature of a Westboro uh, churchgoer being portrayed as as a Christian. But you know, you go into China, and you're literally in a punching line. Uh, so the 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 difference between where you're at in the world is what the hatred is going to be wearing. Um, the Coptic Christians in Egypt right now, yeah. the churches are getting burned, they're getting murdered in the streets. The Syrian Christians, same thing's happening to them. We, we don't face that here. So hatred towards Christianity takes a different face depending where you're at. So for us, it's more mockery than persecution physically. Yeah. 
Anybody else? Yes. I would throw the mic, but I would hit someone in the head. I know you would catch it, though. Yes, thank you. All right, I was just uh, I was sharing with this group here. When I was in uh, stationed in Baghdad, uh, there was this Christian liquor store owner, and um, he was closing up his, his liquor store at the end of the night or whatever, and he got shot in the back of the head. Um, and so there's my experiences in Iraq. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of persecution for Christians, um, specifically from Muslims, but yeah. uh, you know for for just in general in the Middle East, they're they're um, like the gentleman was saying in Egypt, they're they're you know persecuted. They can be killed. Yeah. Um, and then here I was saying that the persecution for Christians is not uh, typically not violent. But uh, but there is you know um, uh, kind of in society a, a bad taste in people's mouths for Christianity. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Anybody else want to share? Yes, Caitlin, and we'll let you wrap it up, Caitlin. Here's the mic. So Sayla and I were talking about how like at college and stuff we uh-huh. meet people who don't know a lot about Christianity but they know about it. So like they'll be like, So who is Jesus? Was he just a disciple or like who was he? Yeah. Um and I think a lot of um Americans claim to be Christians, whether they're practicing Christians or part of the community of believers. And I think they're claiming the benefits of, you know, the eternal but not really grasping of what it is today. Yeah. Nor do they know like how are Christians supposed to be living? So I would say it's not so much of a hatred of Christians as much as, like, they're not educated as to yeah. what it is. Maybe we as Christians get put into a box, yeah. figuratively speaking, and there's just a lot of hatred uh, and intolerance of some of the things that we believe um, about the world. I, I wrote that I had some stats um, that I found and that said about Christianity today, and specifically martyrdom of Christians today, um, it's hard to gauge some of these stats. There's lots of missionary organizations that uh, try to gauge them and and print uh, statistics of Christians who are suffering today. Um, It's very hard to do, but uh, one, some of the stats I found were that something, uh, some number like 163,000 Christians die every year for their faith, which to me like blows my mind because if that's really true, that's more Christians dying today than there was in the early church, what we're about to talk about. Um, and I, I wrote down this um, for their faith. Let's see, in this century alone, so a century, uh, some 35 million Christians have died. Um, and, and 15 million of these Christians were Orthodox or Catholic Christians who died in the Soviet Union uh, under the communist regimes between 1917 and 1980. Potentially the worst um, persecution of Christians in, in, in that uh, half century that we have ever known. And, and it's like, that, that's something that's foreign to my mind. I've never studied the Russian church um, or the pu- persecution that happened there. But these, uh, if these numbers are real, that's, that's mind-blowing. Um, the top persecuting countries today are Burma, Myanmar, China, Egypt, Iran, and Laos. Um, and the, I just don't know that much about the persecution of the missionaries serving there being killed every once in a while we'll hear stories and glimpses but it's 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 really hard to gauge um and it's really just surprising like the amount of persecution happening today any of the stats you read are to me at least are very surprising because when i think of persecution persecution i think of the first century but potentially there's more happening today so this what we're talking about is very relevant and so 
Let's talk about the persecution of the Romans in the first century. And I think like the persecution that happens today, um, it's, it's somewhat involved or intertwined with the politics of the land. And the Roman persecution has a lot to do with politics. You might just think, oh, they hate Christians because everybody hates Christians. And you just hate Christians because you hate Christians. Well, they have the reasons. The, the, the times were very volatile politically. And they were, Romans were very afraid of people and groups revolting from the Roman Empire and starting their own thing or causing war. Here's a picture of the, the a map, actually of the Roman Empire in the, in the orange at the time of the early church. It's this huge section of land, a very powerful empire that we still talk about today. We're talking about it right now. Um, and in this Roman Empire, um, the emperor, the leader, the, the king, the Caesar of the Roman Empire was worshipped as God. So here's a picture of a, of a statue of this Roman Empire emperor, excuse me, with wings and and above the people and the the uh, other parts of the picture, people looking up at him and worshiping him. And to be a Roman meant you held your leader in such respect, so much so that you worshipped him. And emperor worship was common for Julius Caesar, for Augustus Caesar, Tiberius Caesar, all the Caesars, um, Nero Caesar. He was worshipped as a god, like the sun god incarnate here on earth, um, and you were to worship him. And if you didn't worship him, well, then that was an act of treason. And if you think about it that way, these Christians were not just killed for fun because they were Christians, but these Christians were killed because the Roman government was somewhat afraid of a bunch of people uprising and committing treason against Rome. And so they they would hold these things at least once a year where everybody in Rome would just burn some incense to Caesar. You would pay your respects to Caesar. And if you didn't do this, if you didn't burn the incense and say, Caesar is Lord, well then... That was an act of treason because Caesar was God to these people in the Roman Empire. And so could you imagine yourself um, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, Jesus is Lord. Could you go and, and willingly participate in this? Could you burn incense and, and, and say Caesar is Lord? No, not so fast. That would be a denial of Christ. It would be a denial of what you believe. And so it's for that reason, this reason of treason, that the Roman Empire was afraid of these Christians, afraid of uh, what they might do in their uprising, afraid of them. So we have, uh, on your tables, should be a piece of paper. And I only printed one. Um, I have some more if you want a copy. But it's this letter from Pliny to Trajan. And I, you obviously can't read it all right now or, or take the time to read it slowly. Um, but you could read it later if you're so inclined. Um, I'm going to pick um, several pieces to, to read out. What's amazing about this piece of paper is this is one of the letters between a governor, Pliny, on the left, to the emperor at the time, Trajan. And this letter is circa 110, 111 to 113 A.D., this is a very early letter. And what's interesting is that it mentions Christians. So here's two Roman officials, Pliny the governor, Emperor Trajan. We have a series of correspondence. And in this particular letter, and a few other letters around this letter, we have them mentioning Christianity, which is potentially one of the earliest mentionings of Christianity from a non-Christian source. This is a primary source. And a few years ago, uh, I taught a course in uh, church history um, for King's College, 
and, and talked about how important primary sources are. In every class, we talk about primary sources. And when I said the word primary sources, the students in the class, I told them to say, primary sources. <laughs> it was really weird. But it, it <laughs> primary sources, you say it. Primary sources. It's kind of fun. So uh, it was just a reminder of like, this is really how we do history. We look at primary sources. <laughs> so this is one of them. Um, a letter from a, a Roman governor to the emperor Trajan. We're not really sure what uh, Pliny looks like. This is just an artist's rendition of him. So I have a picture of this uh, and maybe you'll see why I did that. If you know The Office, you know that's uh, the very hated character, Dwight Schrute. Like, kind of like, by the book, kiss-up uh, character. And this, it starts off with this. I mean, what, like, talk about, like, emperor's pet or something. Um, it is a rule, sir, which I vocably observe, to refer to you in all my doubts. So I, whenever I have a doubt, I refer to you. For who is more capable of guiding my uncertainty or informing my ignorance? It's like, really, dude? Like, you need to... He's kind of like... Uh, I imagine he had conversations with people. And it's like, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm the assistant emperor. And people would be like, no, nah, you're assistant to the emperor. Um, but anyways, that, the first paragraph is just him kissing up to the emperor. Second paragraph is like, here's what I do. When I, when I meet some Christians, um, I ask them if they're a Christian. I tell them they're about to receive the capital punishment, execution. I make, I make sure to ask them twice, are you really a Christian? And then I kill them. That's what he says in this letter. Pliny to Trajan. So here's what I've been doing. If someone says that they're a Christian, I ask them twice. I tell them that they're going to be killed. And then I kill them if they don't deny that they are, in fact, a Christian. The third paragraph is like this. If you read it, it says that there was a list of names of Christians brought out. And so, um, like someone was a tattletale and listed all these names of Christians. Um, and it says, if, if the Christian was brought before me, and they do end up burning incense to Caesar and saying, Caesar is Lord, well, then they're free to go. And then the, the, third, the fourth paragraph, paragraph is um, a little, like, snippets of what they did as Christians, which is kind of interesting because here's a secular first century view of what Christians were doing. It says they met together, they sang, they woke up early in the morning, and they prayed, and then they ate ordinary food, and, and that's it. They had these meetings. And then the fifth paragraph is just kind of more kissing up to the emperor and saying, basically, what should I do? Here's what I've been doing. It seems to have worked. He says, like, uh, the Roman temple god worship was, um, was decreasing, but then I started um, persecuting these Christians. And then now we have more people at the Roman gods' temples worshiping. Everything is, is on the up and up. High five. Give me lots of love because I'm your best governor kind of paragraph. So that's this letter. And it's pretty fascinating if you're um, extra nerdy and want to read this whole thing later, um, because it's a first century primary source um, that, that ta- it's from like a secular view of what, what they thought Christians were like. And the Roman Empire was pretty bad to Christians. Um, here's a picture. Uh, anybody recognize this picture? Yeah, it's the Colosseum that's in downtown Rome. Anybody been there? Oh my gosh, look at all the hands. They hold them high. That's amazing. Like, I don't know, 10, 15 of you have been there? Um, sweet. I was there in high school, and um, since I was in high school, I was like, this sucks. Um, 
I was like, when do we eat? <laughs> um, so I, anyways, looking back, I was like, man, I wish I would have taken that in and taken pictures and took that seriously. Um, but anyways, so there, there, this is in downtown Rome, the old Colosseum. Uh, dating back to the first century. And this is where Christians were persecuted. This is where Christians were brought on behalf of, of being a Christian and tortured. And, and we sometimes, I know I am guilty sometimes of saying, you know, like our societies, you know, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Well, at least we don't bring people into a coliseum, strip them naked and watch wild animals or light them on fire or have gladiators kill them in a, in a cheering Colosseum. I mean, that, that, if you think about that, if you compare our society with that society, at least we're not, haven't gone, and you could talk about, oh, we're, you know, we watch too much violent TV. It's like, yeah, that's true. That's true. But at least we're not literally bringing people to kill them on behalf of our entertainment. Like tonight, um, just up the road, the Broncos will play the tree, Chiefs. Go Broncos, right? Um, and, and they'll be wearing pads, There'll be timeouts if there's an injury. There's like the fair catch rule, where if you're about to catch the ball and someone's going to um, kill you with a tackle, you could fair catch, and, and then you, you, you don't get tackled. Um, like, we, we, we are civilized in our entertainment pursuits. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would not want to get tackled by any one of the Broncos. Um, but it's like, okay, that at least, at least, you know, we're not killing people for sport. And so Christians were taken against their will into che- cheering coliseums like this one. And there was coliseums all over the Roman Empire. Like every big city, every big providence had one of these. Where for entertainment, Christians and prisoners and the like were taken and killed for entertainment. And that's just another world to me as like what it meant to be a Christian in the early days. And we have um, some pretty interesting um, descriptions of the emperor at the time that did a lot of damage to Christians. This guy's name is Nero Caesar, or in Greek, Neron Caesar. Uh, There's a picture of him. I'm really not sure what is up with his neck beard thing. Um, It's just weird. But Nero Caesar is infamous, like Hitler kind of evil to the early Christians. We think that Paul and many of the apostles suffered persecution ultimately at his hand. A really bad guy. Um, So much bad that some Christians today um, think that he is the beast talked about in the book of Revelation. So tying it back to the passage we read earlier today, um, if you take the word Neron Caesar, so in the Greek, uh, it's kind of hard to follow, but try. Uh, you take Neron Caesar in the Greek and you transliterate it to the Hebrew. For some reason, it's, it's showing up here, but not there. Um, so, so, so there's uh, the Hebrew words are, are listed um, that's the, those two black letters are like parts of the Hebrew. It's not showing, it's showing up on my screen, but not up there. That's kind of weird. But if you take those Hebrew transliterated letters and you assign them a number based on where they are in the alphabet, I guess it was like a fun thing to do back then, uh, because they didn't have Facebook or reality television. So they assigned numbers to letters and then added them up. But if you add up Neron Caesar, you get 666. 
And what's really interesting is that if you transliterate the, the Roman or the, the, uh, the Latin, Nero Caesar, you transliterate that into the Hebrew, um, you get this number um, 616. And I apologize, it's not showing up on the screen. Oh, there it is, finally. Uh, 616, um, which is kind of interesting because sometimes at the, at the bottom of your page, Revelation 13, 18 says, calculate the number of the beast. The number is man's number. His number is 666. Sometimes at the bottom it says, the earliest Greek manuscripts have 616, which is kind of interesting. So it's like, well, the early Christians, um, by and large, thought that Caesar, this Nero Caesar, was the beast, was um, the one who is talked about, who whose image is on a coin, or his image you can't buy or sell without this mark of the beast, uh, which most um, Christians going through, like the book of Revelation, interpreting it through the lens of the first century would say, well, the mark of the beast is probably Augustus Nero Caesar. Once again, I don't know what's the, the deal with his neck. It's a, like a fat neck, um, kind of weird. <laughs> it's not that funny. Um, so there's a coin, and you couldn't buy or sell without Nero Caesar's, those, this mark of the beast. And so if you are interpreting Revelation through the eyes of the early church, you would have definitely thought um, that, that Nero was this beast. Um, another, another passage says that he was wounded in the head, and he was, like he, he committed suicide uh, by sticking a knife into his neck and head. Um, and so there's this verse in Revelation, like, he, he's going to come back. And that was a popular myth of the time, that, that people thought he committed suicide, but really he was just hiding, and he was going to come back and do even more damage later. Um, so anyways, um, here's some of the bad things that Nero did. And this is rated R. So um, he became emperor at 17 years old. He killed his own stepbrother, Britannicus, by poison in order to do so. He once ran over a child with his chariot just for fun. He married his stepsister, Octavia. He killed anyone who opposed him. He, um, this one's pretty bad. He kicks his pregnant wife in the stomach until both her and the baby are dead. And then he castrates a young boy named Sporus and then marries that young boy and dresses him up as his wife that he killed and calls him by her name. He drinks wine out of lead cups, which is just really bad because it's like the joke, you know, did you eat paint chips as a kid? No, but I drank wine out of lead cups. Worse. Um, he has incest with his own mother, Agrippina, and then kills her later. Uh, he, has, he commits suicide at the end of his life. And there was once a really big fire in Rome that burnt down whole sections of Rome. And he, of course, instead of taking the blame, because a lot of historians think that he burnt down those sections of Rome because it's uh, how convenient that when those sections of town were burnt down in its place, he built his own like personal gardens there. So a lot of historians are like, he might have burnt it down uh, on purpose. But he, it's Tacitus, a Roman historian, says that Nero blamed who for burning down Rome? Christians, which just added to the hatred. And um, Nero had this gardens that, so he built gardens on, on top of these burned ruins, these beautiful gardens. And at night, um, so says a historian Eusebius, that um, Nero would put Christians on a pole and then cover them in tar and flammable um, things and then light them on fire to be lamps in his own personal gardens as these Christians suffered persecution just for being Christians. And it's like this image of suffering 
on account of Christ, suffering on account of being a Christian. And so, in conclusion, there's this sweet quote that we just call it a sweet quote quote, because that's what we always call it, on the back of your notes. And the picture on the front is is someone planting seeds. And the quote is from Tertullian, who was a church father, who said that the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of the church. I think um, we were in a planning meeting. Our Sunday school leaders were in a planning meeting. And Jordan Lee, wherever he is, he he had this um, idea that was just hit me really hard, that, that we stand on the shoulders of Christians who have gone before us. We have freedoms today that the early Christians did not have. And we have freedoms that um, were, were foreign to the early church being persecuted. And so what will we do with this freedom? What will we do knowing that we have the freedoms to be Christians and that the early church did not? Um, that we don't have to suffer like they did, at least here in the United States right now today. We could come and meet in peace. And to think about them, to remember them, as we're doing uh, the Friday nights at the mill, we're on a similar series about martyrdom and and saints. And to think about them, to consider those that have gone before us and to suffered. Um, I'm going to end with this, a prayer by this man. His name is Polycarp. He lived uh, from 69 to 155 AD, a very uh, early Christian. In fact, he is said to have been a disciple of John, the John that wrote the Gospels. So here's an eyewitness, John, to Jesus, discipling uh, a guy by the name of Polycarp, who was um, a bishop in Smyrna. And if you read in Revelation, it talks, there's like, to the angel of the city of Smyrna, write. And then basically, Smyrna's letter is, you're going to experience persecution, but, but be faithful even to the point of death, and you will get the victor's crown. So here's Polycarp in a Colosseum. They, they, he, just for being a Christian, um, and not burning incense and, and worshiping Caesar as God. He was brought into a Colosseum, and they lit a fire under him, and, and that fire was supposed to burn him and kill him alive. Um, but for some reason, the fire didn't work, either um, by prayer or by a miraculous thing, or just by, you know, someone didn't know how to light a fire. Um, the fire didn't work. And so here's the picture of him getting stabbed and killed in front of everyone. I imagine it's like a, the crowd cheers. He prays this prayer, which is where we'll end today's lesson. Uh, Polycarp's prayer, as he's dying, a martyr's death, he says this. O Lord God, the Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels and powers and every creature and of the whole race of the righteous who live before you. He says, I give you thanks that you have counted me worthy on this day and this hour that I should, um, that I should have a part of the number of your martyrs in the cup of your Christ to the resurrection of eternal life, both of soul and body through the incorruption, uh, through the imparted, incorruptible, imparted Holy Spirit, among whom may I have acceptance this day before you as a fat offering, acceptable and pleasing as a sacrifice, according to you in an ever-truthful God. So he's like comparing himself to like an Old Testament sacrifice, his body being burned for God. Um, And God, you have ordained, for I have um, been handed my life over to you, when whom I praise for all things, I bless you, I glorify you, along with the everlasting heavenly Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, with whom to you and the Holy Spirit...
be glory both now and into all the coming ages. Amen. So, Lord, we, we come before you having read a prayer of an early saint who died a martyr's death. Lord, we do give you glory. Would you take any sacrifices we give of our own lives, of our own self, of our own obedience as an acceptable sacrifice to you, Lord? Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for the freedoms that we have now today um, here. And we thank you for the Mill Sunday School to, to be able to look back and reflect on those who have gone before us. So we worship you and we praise you. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.